The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. I love Google Maps navigation. Don't you? A week and a half ago, my bride and I were returning, from, uh, returning to Green Bay from St. Louis after a work assessment we were a part of. And all I did was type in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then I thought, guide me on, O oh thou great Google Maps. Bring me to the promised land of quick trips, cheese curds, and my complete happiness. I believe Google Maps was created for my happiness. Although, at times... I must confess, I set out to race its projected time. I think I can do it faster. I know a shortcut. Other times my flesh is weak and I doubt the Google Maps magician. Or perhaps I hit cancel trip thinking I'll just navigate my own way. Or I turn the volume down so I don't hear the incessant beckoning. Come back to the right path. Make a U-turn at the next lights, Right? But it's often only when I'm disappointed in the outcome of getting lost, of taking longer than expected, or having gone the wrong way entirely that I regret not following my Google guru's directions. How do you feel about following directions? What about instructions for Lego sets? Step-by-step pictures for putting together a couch or a new lawnmower? What about recipes? diet plans. Weren't those directions put in place that your happiness would be made complete with the original desired outcome? Why don't we follow them? Why don't we follow them? Don't we want to be happy? It may be that we don't trust the writer or creator of said directions. What do they know, right? It could be, frankly, that we know we shouldn't eat that entire row of Oreos at 9 p.m., but we just don't care about the diet plan. We're unwilling to turn from something that is destroying us. It could be that we just think we know better, so we turn off the trip. We go our own way, and in doing so, the blessing, the happiness promised in those following instructions, it's left behind. Hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, and may peace be upon Israel. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. Let's pray once more. God, truly, again, we come to hear you speak. We come to worship. We come to give thanks. That though you are so great, you also come so near. Teach us, Lord, from your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Google Maps, unfortunately, at times can be wrong. I experienced this a lot overseas, which is a bad place to get lost, right? Diet plans can be wrong too, couch instructions, even recipes. But the directions 
that God gives to his people, the Israel of God, the church, they're never wrong. They're never worth the risk of ignoring. And never, ever, ever do we ever know better than he does. He is perfectly trustworthy, perfectly knowing all things, and he perfectly knows how to make you, yes, you, truly happy, blessed, holy. And that, in fact, is in a life of fearing God. What underlies this psalm is the truth that God created us to be happy and holy. God created us to be happy and holy. And because he created us as such, and in order to be happy and holy, we must fear God. We'll look at three ways we fear God today. It's first in thinking higher thoughts of him and feeling the reverence that comes with that. It's in second, walking by his ways. And third, by inviting others to come and fear him as well with us. So our first point then is that God created us again to be happy and holy, and therefore we must fear God by thinking higher thoughts of him. So in verses 1 and 4, we hear that the one who fears the Lord will be blessed, right? But we need to answer two questions right off the bat. What does it mean to be blessed? And what is fear? What are we talking about here? Well, blessing has a few ways it's used, and it's often meaning receiving something good. Right? When we bless God, it means we praise him. We give him the good he deserves, glory. Not that he needs it, but we give it to him. When someone blesses us, it means they've given us something good in some way. And therefore, to be blessed or blessed at its very core is to be made truly happy. Completely happy. Blessing has, uh, of course, a few ways it's used, but this is the primary way we find it in the Psalms, is this truly happiness, or truly happy. Adam, the first man, was uh, created to be living a blessed life under God's rule. He was given happy work. He received a bride in Eve, and together they were to cultivate a life in a land under God's rule, right? Humanity, the first ones, they were made to be happy, truly, deep down, ongoing, happy. That's blessed, right? What is fear and how can it be good here? How can fear be good? Doesn't First John say that we read today, doesn't it say perfect love casts out all fear? Why should a Christian, why should anyone fear God? Well, the Bible talks about fear in two ways for the Christian and really one way for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian in the Bible, fear at its core is being rightfully afraid of the God who's given you every single thing, but yet you've rejected him, yet you won't come to him. And now the only expectation we have is to be judged. But for the Christian, one way fear is talked about is as a destructive thing, something that that should be overcome. This may be a fear that, that springs from not seeing God and his plans as always good, It could be us saying, or you've said this to yourself before, I fear God doing something in my life or in my loved one's life that I don't really want. That's fear that is born out of a mistrust of God's character and his plan. This negative fear, again, in Scripture, also might spring from a wrong understanding of how God sees you. 
if you have turned from living for yourself, if you've repented and you've believed and come to Jesus Christ, your sins are put away forever. Even the ones that you're going to commit tomorrow. Being scared that God is going to punish you shows you that perhaps, perhaps you misunderstand how God sees you and what he's done with your sins. God's perfect love for you truly casts out that kind of fear. The other kind of fear that the Bible talks about for the Christian is the good one that we hear of in Psalm 128 this morning. This fear, this good one, is the right acknowledgement of God as the very center of the universe. All-powerful, all-knowing, always good. Paul in Romans 11 says it this way. He says, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever. So fearing God is truly acknowledging this about God. And this should cause us to have jaw-dropping reverence. Stop you in your tracks. Awe. It's like looking up at the stars and trying to see them all at once. Whoa. It's like trying to grasp how great the ocean is by standing on the shore. You can't get your eyes over the edges, right? Reverence. Fearing God is thinking higher thoughts of God's greatness. And with that, feeling the reverence that comes with it. Awe, respect, for no one is like him. Truly, we cannot have a happy and holy life without fearing God in this way. And we cannot fear God without thinking higher thoughts of him and feeling what comes with that. My high school math teacher, Mr. Ketting, he was absolutely brilliant. And he was a good teacher. And he also exercised authority well. I know this because he sent me to the principal's office many times. But when I would come back to class, he was not angry with me. He didn't ignore me. Rather, he was kind. He came close. He cared for me. He had authority over me in the universe of trigonometry, yes. And he demanded that I follow his standards, both for my goodness or my good and for my fellow classmates' happiness. But he also came much nearer than I thought he would. Mr. Ketting Shows us a picture of God great and different than me, and yet coming so very near. When I say to fear God, you must think higher thoughts of him. I don't only mean thinking how great and different than you he is. Yes, God holds mountains in his palm. Yes, he can. He knows the name of each and every star in the sky. He knows every tree and every living thing in the forest. God created time. He's outside of it. That's how great and different he is than us. But thinking higher thoughts of him also includes understanding how near he comes to us. Like a Mr. Ketting. God comes near to you. How near, you ask? Hebrews 2 and 4 says that Jesus became like us in every way without sinning. So that he knows and can relate to us in the intricacies and the complications of every thought, of every emotion, and every temptation we face. Each and every sin that you've committed, he knows it. He knows it because Jesus came so near to become sin for us. Your sin was poured out onto Jesus. And for those who trust in that near work of Jesus, 
God actually comes nearer still, right? How so? Well, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, literally makes his home inside of you, both as an individual and collectively as the church. God comes near to you. He lives in the Israel of God, the church, his people. Don't you want to think these higher thoughts of God all the time, his greatness and his nearness, the mountain holding, star naming and knowing God, but also the coming near, sin saving, or sinner saving, spirit living in you, God. Oh, the greatness, the nearness of God, it causes reverence and awe within us. Saints, we just, we need to understand that this is an essential part of fearing God, thinking higher thoughts of his greatness and his nearness and feeling the awe that comes with that. And in doing that, we actually can throw away the negative fear, the fear that comes when you don't believe he and his plans are good, or the fear that comes when you don't understand or don't believe your sins have actually been dealt with in full, that fear can be thrown away. So we fear God by thinking higher thoughts of this ocean-creating and sinner-saving God. And therefore, we become what we were made to always be, blessed, happy, and holy under God's rule. That's the first point for us. Yes, yes, God has created us to be blessed. So we fear God, not only thinking higher thoughts of his greatness and nearness, but look at the second half of verse 1. It says we fear God by walking in his ways. The happiness that God created us to have and live in, it shattered when Adam and Eve sinned. And we learn that God did not create us to be happy apart from being holy. God sets his people apart to walk in his ways, to obey him. His commands, his ways, they actually lay out a happy road for us to follow. So, right, in the same way when we choose to ignore the Google Maps voice, Legos instructions, couch instructions, diet plan, and we're not so happy in the outcome, the same is true in obeying God's commands. We will not be truly happy apart from being truly holy without walking in his ways. Verses uh, 2 and 3, they tell us what to expect if we fear God. Abundance, enjoyment, happiness in our work and in our families. In Genesis 3, Adam was cursed by God in that the ground would now produce thorns and thistles instead of fruit because of his sin. But the psalmist says, if you fear God by walking in his ways, you will be blessed, eating the fruit of your labor. It's a reversal right? Of the curse when we fear God. The fruit may not mean you're a millionaire, darn it, but it will produce actual fruitfulness, it says, both in you and outside of you. This is, this is the ideal. This is the expected norm when we fear God. Prosperity, prospering, and enjoying fruitfulness. In verse 3, we hear of a grapevine and olive shoots, and they're related to a wife and to children. Now, olive, show, olive shoots are known to grow like crazy and right in time produce olive and olive oils or olive oil. And grapevines put forth grapes producing what? Grape juice or more so wine in time. 
Wine which makes the soul merry, as the psalmist says elsewhere, in a positive way. You see, in their minds, any real celebration in their day would include the must-haves of wine and olive oil. These are party markers. You go to the party and you expect those to be there. Otherwise, it might not be a party in a celebration, a positive way. So the message here in verses 2 and 3 is, Fearing God by walking in his ways will produce an abundantly happy and holy home. When husbands and wives fear God, they serve one another. They're fulfilled in one another in their marriage, and they flourish. Verse 3 implies fruitfulness from their marriage, producing children around a table. This is in a similar vein to Psalm 127 that we heard last week. Children are not hindrances, but they are happy and holy gifts. We should want them. It's not in all. <laughs> In that stable environment, though, in that God-fearing home with the happy and holy marriage, those children flourish like crabgrass in the end of July. That's what olive shoots means. They grow like crazy, unhindered towards a happy and holy life. So if such a happy and holy life in our work and in our homes, it's such a, it's such a certainty in the mind of the psalmist, why is it not for us? Why don't we fear God walking in his ways? I think Frank Sinatra, I like Frank very much, Frank Sinatra answers this question in one of his most famous songs. He says this, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Frank believes my way is where the happy life is found. The philosopher Charles Taylor calls this mindset the ethics of authenticity. Ethics of authenticity. These ethics are, no one can tell me who I am. No one can tell me what I should do or what is best for me. We believe we can make ourselves happy. We don't believe happiness comes through a bent me. When God called Moses, right, through a, a flaming shrub, he told him to go and speak on his behalf. Moses said, I don't talk so good, God. Send someone else, please, and thank you. And God replied, I made your mouth. I know what it's good for. I will be with you. In the same way that God gives Moses a mouth to speak, he gives you legs to run. Eyes to see, ears to hear, and knees to kneel before the great and yet coming near God. That's what your knees were made for. Kneel before this great God. Why? Because your heart is literally fashioned to only be happy and holy when your knee is bent to this God. And friends, don't you want to be happy? Jesus lived the happy and holy life of obedience, and then he, he died for our unhappy and unholy my way lives, right? Jesus is a model, yes, of how we walk in God's ways rightly, but even better still than that. Jesus gives us his perfect record of walking in God's ways, and he makes us righteous forever in God's sight. You're righteous forever in God's sight. But though we are righteous now and forever, we actually still seek to walk, to obey God's commands. Why? 
Because God has fashioned us in a way that literally our happiness is all wrapped up in being faithful to God's commands. It will make us happy. So this means for you and me, when we read God's commands in the Bible, we say, this command right here, this one, this one is meant for my happiness, my holiness. God, give me the grace to follow this command. When it says, husbands, love your wives, in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5, treating her like your own body, like Christ loved the church, it literally means, husbands, that your happiness is wrapped up in being faithful to love your wives like your own body. Wives, when it says, submit to your husband, follow, follow his lead, it means your happiness is wrapped up in following his lead. Children, adult ones too, your mom and dad are not always right. You know that. But God gave them to you. As long as they are not calling you to sin, your happiness, children, all of us, it's wrapped up in being faithful to God in this way. Don't you want to be happy? Children, teenagers, (laughs) me. (laughs) Everyone who works at anything, your happiness and fruitfulness is wrapped up in working faithfully unto the Lord. That's all of us in our work. Your happiness and fruitfulness is wrapped up in working faithfully to the Lord. So God has created us, right, to be happy and holy. In our response, and in order to become happy and holy, we fear God, right, thinking higher thoughts of him, his greatness, his nearness. And yet also we walk in his ways, knowing our happiness, right, is all wrapped up in that. And finally, we fear God by inviting others to come near, or to come fear God with us. Inviting them to enter into the Israel of God, the, the church, the people of God. That's our final point. We fear God by inviting people in. Remember now, Israel, uh, or rather here, look at the last two verses, okay? Verses 5 and 6. We find a benediction there. And what's a benediction, right? It's what we receive at the end of every service. A benediction is a prayer over you wishing you happiness and holiness as you go to serve God and to walk in his ways. Verses 5 and 6 even carry this sense of if fearing God is that good, if truly we can be that blessed, oh, may it be so, God. Oh, may it be so. Now, remember, Israel was singing these psalms on their way up to God's city, right? You could even imagine a large, maybe family band, if you will, singing to each other, may you be blessed from God's city where he resides. And a response, yes, yes, and you be blessed in your work and in your fruitfulness, so much so that you would see your children's children be blessed that much. And them singing together, yes, may peace, whole happiness, may it be upon the Israel, the people of God. That's what they're singing to each other. But Israel, or so Israel, was meant to invite the nations to believe in their God, right? They're singing to each other. But the world was to actually hear them singing these songs of faith. They were to think, hmm, I want to be happy. I want to be blessed. I'm coming along to sing, to fear, to worship the God who blesses in this way. One commentator suggests this psalm has an implicit invitation to who? Everyone. Everyone who fears God will be blessed. Anyone who comes to join in sincerely. 
The Old Testament evangelism strategy is one of invitation. Come in. Come to my table. See how happy and holy we are fearing the Lord and join in. Come. In the, in the New Testament, though, it becomes clear that the true Israel of God was never a matter of someone's, or matter simply of someone's ethnicity. No. Rather, it's of an inward, sincere faith. This is sometimes called the mystery of the gospel. That you and me, not ethnic Jews, as far as I know, maybe, maybe there's background there, but not ethnic Jews, we are made part of God's treasured people. The true Israel of God is made up of a bunch of foreigners, right? Foreigners who believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So the evangelism strategy in the New Testament shifts not, not only to be come into our happy, holy homes and tables and be won over to worship God, but it actually includes our saints' family band going out to everyone out there and saying, don't you want to be happy? I have good news for you. That's a bad musical. But don't you want to be happy? I have good news for you. For a few months, every time that I turned on my TV at home, there was this huge advertisement shown across the screen. Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt, coming soon to Amazon Prime. I thought, eh, maybe I'll see it. That is until July 4th at 7.40 a.m., when I read Wes Johnson's Facebook post, and I paraphrase, remember when you were happy seeing a good summer blockbuster? You want to be happy with a great action flick? See this movie. Over the weeks that followed, I've heard Wes's voice in this space and figuratively over texts and in other people's living rooms, telling them the happy news that a great action flick indeed does exist. Even Faith, his daughter, told me she was invited along for a happy viewing of this film. Right, Faith? Yes. <laughs> it was pretty good. When we find things that make us happy, right, what do we do? We instinctively invite others into our happiness. Did you see? Have you heard? It's on sale. <laughs> right? It's because not so deep down we know that we were made to be happy and that everyone else was, too. Every single product, pill, or production promises to make you happy, right? But God says to be blessed, to be truly happy, it must include holiness. And it is only found in fearing the Lord. We must become better promoters and inviters for others to come and be happy and holy with us in fearing God among the Israel of God, the church. We can be promoters like the New Testament Israel of God, the church, and it doesn't have to be handing out pamphlets on the corner, right? We can ask our non-Christian friends the question we already know the answer to. Don't you want to be happy? We follow up with, what would make you truly happy? And then what do we do? We listen. We, in sincere love, listen as we listen to whatever their answer might be that they think would make them happy. And perhaps as we lovingly listen, maybe they ask, why are you so happy? We can also be inviters like the Old Testament Israel of God. You don't look so happy. Would you like to come over? Can I make you a meal at my table? Would you tell me about your life? We invite others into our lives behind the garage door, right? 
into a place that it's not very comfortable to have people. Piles of unfolded laundry, messy bathrooms, unfinished renovations. But we invite them in because why? They get to smell the aroma of fearing God. The aroma of a happy and holy life in fearing God. And perhaps they will join in and sing the song with us. The song we hear even in Psalm 128. So truly, friends, God has made us and them, everyone, to be happy and holy. And it is only, it is only so when we fear God. When we believe upon the one he's commanded us to, which is Jesus Christ. And we fear God then and invite others into the Israel of God with us. Let me close simply with talking about, uh, maybe not the Olympics, but something attached to it. Obviously, the Summer Olympics season is here. There's lots of running. But I'm reminded of the Chariots of Fire, uh, Eric Little, or Liddell, perhaps, if you want to pronounce it differently. He loved God, and he ran like it. He was contrasted with a runner named Abraham's, who when, when Abraham's thought on running, he would, in essence, ask this, will I be able to justify my whole existence by winning. Will I be able to justify my whole existence by winning? But little in one scene says this, I believed God made me for a purpose. But God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. When you do what you were created to do, you feel God's pleasure. You are happy. It's better than everything else. Fearing God produces the blessed life, the happy and holy life, the life all wrapped up in God's pleasure. So how do we do this? We think high thoughts. We think high thoughts of this universe-creating greatness, God, and yet his sinner-saving nearness. And we feel the reverence that comes along with that. We walk in his ways because our salvation is already complete. Truly completed fully by Christ, but our happiness, our daily holiness, that's all wrapped up in being faithful to the commands. We will be happy in doing them. And finally, we invite others to come and fear God with us. Why? Because don't you want them to be happy? Don't you want them to be happy in knowing Christ? They were made to be. So invite them to come and enjoy the love that God has shown us in Christ. The love that does away with that negative fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, you are so good to us. You've given us the sun overhead and the rain that falls on us and gives us life. Lord, would you teach us to be rid of the evil fear which destroys us. And God, would you fill us with holy fear, thinking high thoughts, walking in your ways, feeling the reverence of the God who is so great. He's so great, and yet he is so near in Christ Jesus. We praise you, God. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.